An artist who truly had the ideas first and the guts to put it out there. I was never in the same room as Sophie, but have felt her presence countless times through her work. That's Jack Antonoff talking about the late Sophie. Charlie XCX said, it's really hard for me to sum up the special connection I felt with such an amazing person who completely changed my life. Christine and the Queens added, Sophie was a stellar producer, a visionary, a reference. She rebelled against the narrow, normative society by being an absolute triumph, both as an artist and as a woman. And Vin Staples said, Sophie was different. You ain't never seen somebody in the studio smoking a cigarette in a leather bubble jacket, just making beats and not saying one word. And they are some of the beautiful words that sum up a human being and an artist that was um, close to both of our hearts and close to some of our formative musical experiences. So we wanted to kind of flip the script on Flop Stars this week and, and look at an artist in retrospect and look at the incredible career of someone who had such a divine cult fan base. She was your favourite artist, favourite artist, and she was one of ours as well. I mean, I don't think we truly realise how many times she comes up in these episodes that we've done of Flop Stars because she is the defining force when it comes to making music that's innovative and that's visionary and that pushes the needle forward. And most of the artists we talk about on this are doing exactly that and that's exactly why they don't fit into the mainstream kind of bubble. But I think Sophie was truly an artist who was definitely trying to make underground interesting music but was also trying to make it for the masses there was never this idea that what she was doing was too cool for anybody or was too intellectual for anybody it was just about creating spaces where everybody felt felt safe to explore some of the most like crazy wild like off the wall sounds and i think in that way that's absolutely been achieved I speak with artists often and think about artists and their legacies quite often and what they want to leave behind. And I think the thing that comes up the most is they want to leave something that is audible, something that is subtly there and that drives the sounds forward and drives the culture forward. And Sophie in spades did that. And we'll get into some of the, um, some of the specifics of exactly how she did that and exactly where you'll hear those sounds as this episode goes on. So this will be a slightly different episode, won't it, Sam? It'll be... It might have a different tone to it, but it's still going to be a celebration Definitely. of great pop music, which is what we love to do every week. I think less detours into mindling ram mindless ramblings from Nick and I. Possibly. So it might be a good exercise for us. It's yet to be Not seen. promising it, but <laughs> we've obviously got a lot to talk about. Nick and I have both been profoundly impacted by Sophie just as music fans. And I think it's impossible if you've been following pop music even from a distance, to have not come across Sophie at one point and come across her productions or been excited by what she's done with other artists. So, and I imagine many of you listening feel the same way. So we felt it was important to kind of uh, get on Flop Stars and talk about what our experiences are and what we felt when we were listening to her as kind of like a cathartic exercise for all of us, I guess. Yeah, I think this might be the moment that it hits. Um, should we should we go back to the start? Should we go back to the buzz that surrounded Sophie? 
um, upon her first entrance into our lives and entrance into the lives of, of electronic music lovers. And literally a buzz because a lot of the songs that Sophie first came out with had this kind of like sound to it. it was, it- and I think it's, I remember hearing it for the first time and just being a mix of, I absolutely love this. What the fuck is this? Is this music? Is this allowed? Like there were moments where you're just like, what are these sounds? And I think first and foremost, that's what Sophie did so well was create these sounds that were familiar, but not utilized in music and maximized as well. So you would hear like a B sound and you would be like, is that annoying or is that triggering something within me that's really exciting me right now? And that kind of line is one that everybody walked for a very long time with Sophie and obviously with the PC music community that surrounded her as well. But I think when it comes to the big defining breakthrough moment for her, it was BIP and it was that um, combination of like, really sugary sweet pc music pop melodies against this really like boundary pushing production that we really hadn't heard in the pop sphere at all and it's rare that you can say that because usually you can tie it back to something else and say well they're referencing this person or they're influenced by this person but sophie was like square one for me i think yeah i i think that's a really good way to put it she very much did the greatest contrast of sounds, I think, in making them sound so human. Like you said, the the kind of bee noise or a you know a um, a buzzing kind of sound that feels so familiar yet was so manufactured and mechanical at yeah. the same time. And that was the way that she kind of hit those hard kind of sounds, those really harsh things on your ears. And then when Bip came through. Um, I think what was beautiful about the way that Sophie worked in the early days with melody and worked with with vocals um, was she provided this almost like innocence to them as well. There's yeah. a they're so saccharine and they're so sugary that um, they kind of have like a you know in the different ways she worked with them they had a childish quality to them they had a um, yeah. a pure quality to them they had a Jackson Five esque kind of quality to them at points. Um, yeah, definitely. Where it just felt that like it was a lovely thing to listen to surrounded by these big mechanical, unpredictable explosions in the background. For somebody who's so inventive and out of the box, it's so interesting to me that those kind of references were to the really pure pop moments that were, as you said, very innocent. Like for me, it recalls like Britney Spears or like some of those early 2000s pop stars in its nature while also harking back to kind of the euphoria of British rave in the 90s and early 2000s. But then there's, I think, the most modern futuristic thing about the music, and it's something that I've considered very heavily over the past few days and something that I probably never made sense of in my head when I was listening to Sophie's music at the start. There seems to be this, like, fascination with, our generation with making organic music and making like raw music and honest, earnest music, which is fine. And that's what music's always been. But 
nobody really considers the world as it is right now and considers how modern it is and how we interact with technology and just how far we've come in that area. And that way, I I think music sometimes falls behind and that obviously it uses the technology, but it doesn't use it to its full capacity. And Sophie had this fascination with only creating sounds from scratch, but creating sounds that were familiar to us. So like, as we said, the B, or there was a lot of um, machinery kind of noises, but it was all created from her, from how she heard it. And I think that interaction with technology and just like reacting in that way was so hyper-modern and not even futuristic because it's how it should be, but it just really like rewires the way I think about sound and the way I think about where music is headed. And I was reading a quote from her manager today that said that she would just sit like with a rock at the beach and just keep throwing it in the water and listening to the plop because she was like studying the sound design of that. So then she would go back and try and recreate that that as like a sound. And I guess when you think, I'm rambling a little bit, but I guess when you think of like VR right now and how that's kind of moved into the future and it eventually it's going to be the way that people experience some profound experiences. It's kind of the same thing with Sophie taking these real life sounds and then trying to recreate them through a machine. It's just fascinating to me. It truly is. And there's so many artists I can think of from you know, smaller bedroom producers to some of the biggest producers on the planet that are trying to do that same thing, trying to take those human experiences and those very real earthy experiences, recreate them mechanically, but not shy away from the fact they are mechanical and acknowledging and embracing technology. You're you're so right. Um, I can't clear my throat today for some reason. Um, and I haven't been on the vapes for about three days, so you know I should be should be clearing up now. It's just bringing all the all the shit up. Um, I was going to um, diving. <laughs> it it was almost a rebellion, I think, the way that she was making pop music. It was a rebellion yeah. to. It was a celebration of the mechanical nature that pop can sometimes have and that manufactured feeling it was a celebration of that it was a rebellion of those who pushed pop music to a way that felt like a contrived version of reality and like a contrived earthiness to it and it was embracing the fact that we do use machines and we do use technology um but doing it in a fresh and genuinely uh, authentic way because she was creating these sounds from scratch. I, I saw a lovely quote from um, a lovely story from Benny Blanco about when um, Sophie and, and he worked together and she didn't bring, she forgot her hard drive. And I think Benny was going to like organize a career to go and get it. And she was like, no, 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 just give me a synth, any synthesizer with an oscillator on it, which, which sort of like, um, I'm not very good with musical terminology, but it, it uh, changes the frequency of the synthesizer going, makes it faster yeah. and stuff. Um, and she just recreated all these sounds from scratch, just using the very bare bones of a synthesizer and turning it into something wow. completely different and completely fresh. She doesn't need no fucking hard drive full of full of samples and full of <laughs> shit she's it's worked crazy, on before. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, we talk often about, um, or, or, you know, before pop was really embraced, particularly in the context of the country that I'm in at the moment. And when, you know, you, you were here, it was a, you know, we were going through a transition from a very tall poppy towards pop. 
um, yeah. country into one that did sort of embrace pop. But I think, um, you know, one of the key arguments before this country embraced pop against it was that it was manufactured and it wasn't using real instruments and, you know, working real instruments into something else and and yeah. true musicianship. And Sophie, yeah. w- without any shadow of a doubt, was the most musician-led electronic producer that I think we, we know. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm. I, it's, I'm glad you said that because I just pulled up a tweet from Jack Antonoff that I wanted to read because I think it encapsulates that. Um, that's so well. And he says, to me, the genius of Sophie was how she took this concept of bigger, brighter, harder, shinier, a tool that so many have used cynically and made it brilliant and challenging. She used something in a brand new way that was being misused for too long. She is a savior of pop for it. And I think that's so true. So many of the aspects of pop that have been criticized for so long, she was like, fuck it why are we criticizing it like let's take it on if we want to be like full maximalist and get the most melody and the most feeling and the most euphoria from it let's see how far we can push it like it's not a dirty thing and the i feel like she was crit like there were a lot of critics at the start around the pc music movement and around sophie as well for doing that exact thing and i think it's because it came off as kind of like it almost felt like it was mocking pop music in a way at the start. And yep. I, even I was thinking like, is this a parody of pop music? Like, is this, <laughs> is this kind of something that should be on SNL? And even with the way that um, Sophie kind of played into consumerism and like named the first project product and then sold it alongside a $75 dildo kind of felt felt like at times <laughs> she was critiquing the capitalism. But I think in the end, it was just kind of an appreciation of, of the genre and the shininess of it and buying into the whole thing and seeing how much you could really awaken all of our senses. And I mean, when you listen to that product record from start to finish, all the senses are awakened well well and truly. Absolutely. I think I, I think back to uh, the product era and I think back to the way that she communicated and was communicated around that time, even in the early days. Um, I remember all the social media posts were all capital letters, lots of like yeah. black dots and stuff, um, no emotion whatsoever. It was a product essentially yeah and then it was this comment on the product with the products that she sold with the records and even down to the interviews she did the very rare interviews she did at the time um were done mostly with a with a vocoder on with a voice changing software on i remember one interview she did i think it may have been her first ever radio interview with radio one in 2013 so really far back um i think she was i think it was with annie mack actually i think annie mack was doing a weekend show some description and just trying to get inside the mind of this artist that sounded completely unlike anything else that she was playing on the radio at the time but also she could see elements of that starting to creep into where the sound was moving and where house and dance and and EDM as a whole were moving Um, and Sophie was giving nothing Sophie was giving you know perfect you know pre-prepared statements for answers Um, and it was a really cool thing it just brought in even further to the um to the technology side of it, it brought in even further to the manufactured side of it. Every aspect yeah. of her from 
the music to the persona to what we knew of her at the time. And that's why I find her journey and her, her career so fascinating because it did take such a wonderful evolution. Um, but I, I, yeah. I think back to those early days of not knowing who she was and, and having the opportunity to see her live a couple of times around that era and just getting this little tiny glimpse into the, the human side of her. Um, I found that completely fascinating as well. Well, there was a real like masked kind of enigmatic vibe to... Um, particularly underground electronic art. Well, there always has been a history and that kind of thing. And I think when Sophie came out, people were like, oh, this is like a new mysterious producer and she's trying to like do a whole sort of Daft Punk, Gazaffelstein, like behind the veil sort of thing. But I think in her mind, she was like, I want the music to speak first and foremost. And when I'm ready to take the spotlight, I'll do it in my own time. Um, and I, I feel like she got, she was critiqued for that quite a lot. I know like even Grimes had a go at her once being like, there's no, like, why are you calling yourself a female name? Sophie as a producer, obviously Mm. not knowing anything about what was actually going on with Sophie, but was like, why are you doing that when there's not, there's already not enough female producers? It feels like it's a bit of mockery really. And then even at the show, I remember one show she was to the side of the stage as the bodyguard while her friend was on stage doing the set. But she kind of explained it as it wasn't like really meant to be a stunt. Like people wanted me to play a show and I didn't really want to perform. (laughs) But my friend did like the the spotlight. So she was like, well, I'll make the whole set for you. And then you just stand up there and play it. And like it just really caught people by surprise and really ruffled feathers. When you've got this music that sounds kind of hyper-produced and really kind of robotic people really want to bring into question your humanity which is it's interesting when you think that first and foremost it's about the music but I think what we'll discuss in the next part of this episode is how Sophie just really flourished after that moment and all those kind of criticisms just fell away very quickly absolutely just before we um before we move on I did want to mention you know when when we do talk about the you know, the maskedness of her early career. She also wasn't because you'd go to the show and you could see her. You could see her face. Yeah, you, you could, could see, see her, her move. But yeah. that was the only time you could. Be- and yeah. because the show was black with strobes, no other colour yeah. in the room, just black That's right. with strobes. That was it. Yeah. And that was the only glimpse you got of her. And if you were very close to the front which luckily we were a few times, um, yeah. then you had the opportunity to see who she, who she was. At festivals, she didn't play daytime sets. She only played nighttime sets. Um, yeah. And and that was a really, yeah, that was a really interesting part of building this whole pursuit. And, you know, it really ties into everything that I've, that we've been talking about, that it was, it was manufactured where she had control of her narrative and who she was, but it was also authentic because there was just a human being up there as well and you could see her yeah. and she was actually visible. Yeah. Um, and I think that was that beautiful balancing of that that dichotomy of, of making it authentic and manufactured at the same time. And how interesting that people 
want to use that to um, critique her credibility, but then at the same time, she's the one that's not sampling any sound. <laughs> she's making them all from scratch. All the vocals are her own. Like, it's just so funny that people can go off on these tangents without really knowing what's going on. And all the, all the while, she was one of the most authentic out there. Absolutely. We're going to move on to a bit um, about sort of the things that she's produced for other people and how she integrated herself in the pop community. And to do that, obviously, the song game is a flop stars classic. Uh, and Sophie has actually appeared in it a few times with songs that she's yeah. produced. But we're going to bring it back and we're going to put songs that were under the Sophie name versus songs that Sophie produced. So songs by other people that she was involved in. Um, You know, I get nervous before the song game because it's like putting your your children against each other. And every week I have an existential crisis over it. And so with with these emotions still quite raw, I think this is going to be even more brutal. It's going to be tough. But hit me. Hit me with it. The the first one is Bip. Versus... Vroom Vroom by Charlie XCX. Oh, straight out the gates. This is a strong one. Perhaps the strongest. Vroom Vroom, um, you know, both of these I have such physical memories of. I was around, I would have been 18 still, I reckon, when I first saw Sophie live. Um, uh, The now defunct uh, touring company BBE um, put on a show in Sydney. Sophie played it, UV Boy played it, who I haven't heard from in a couple of years. Um, yeah. Cosmos Midnight might have played it, or Young Franco, one of those. Was it Lido as well? Lido played it, that's right, Lido was here. And QT played it as well. And QT played it, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, QT did play it, but no. No, 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 that was a different one, I think. I don't think QT okay. played it. I feel like I'm thinking of the Christmas one. Yeah, I think. Hang on, let me look. No, that was the Christmas one. Oh God, what am I? What am I doing? Hang on, I'm. At, I need. To, but I need to know this. You see, Sydney yeah, show. I'm going to Google. Absolutely. I try not to Google too much. Um, okay, no, you are correct. It was December 2013. No, so December 2014. Lido, Sophie, yeah. Hal's. Natus, who I don't quite remember, QT played it and UV Boy played it as well. I think I must have missed QT and not known who QT was at the time. Um, but anyway, we're... well, you know what? I actually think I could tell you what happened. Okay, what? I feel like you. There was a two thousands night on at Good God Small Club, <laughs> and we went from there to. I I think we might have done this separately. Yeah. We didn't know each other too well, but I definitely went to a 2000s nostalgia night afterwards. I think you're correct. Which I think Sophie would have been proud I of. I think so as well. And that just sums up what our lives were like in that period. And I was, you know, we were both young and, you know, finding our feet in Sydney and finding our community and, and so many of those early, um, you know, Sophie shows and shows that surrounded that, um, the side chains club that operated out of good, good small club in Sydney, which was a yeah, celebration absolutely. of what we now know to be hyper pop, but a celebration of everything that was weird, mechanical, um, playing, uh, Selena Gomez records 20% faster than they were meant to be played. Um, shout out to the DJ yeah. pretty who did that. I remember her playing same old love about five times the speed. <laughs> but it was such a community that, like, and we will go back to. We realize that Bip and Vroom Vroom are, 
iconic songs yeah. and we've left them for a little yarn about our um I went to provide context days, and I've ended up on a six minute detour, you say. <laughs> exactly. But I think it's important because they, I know that Sidechains was our Sydney kind of hub, but there were these communities that stemmed from PC Music and from Sophie all around the world Absolutely. and gave kids this safe community where they felt like free to really just like embrace what often felt like a guilty pleasure in a way. Like these kids who have grown up standing pop and also standing really like um, underground experimental production and suddenly it was all coming together and they were finding people that had similar experiences which I think is like one of Sophie's greatest legacies is that she was able to create spaces like that obviously as she went on they became even more like free and liberating but back to the song beautifully (laughs) said and with all of that said I'm gonna go vroom vroom because I have a similar connection to that song from a physical perspective. I remember Charlie playing it at some of those tiny warehouse parties. And obviously Sophie is just such a massive part of that song as well. Um, you know, it wouldn't be the song that it is without Sophie's assistance and, and Charlie's, you know, the way that yeah. Charlie's sound went around that time and the experimentation she was able to unlock wouldn't have been possible without Sophie. So really it's a vote for Sophie, but I'm going to go with Vroom Vroom as my, my preference out of the two. I mean, I feel like Charlie would not disagree no, in saying that so. that was the most pivotal point in her career. Mm. And had she not met Sophie, she could be on a very different trajectory right now. We may have still been getting punk pop records. <laughs> um, but, like, obviously there was some amazing partnership forms there. And the way that Sophie was making music just opened up something in Charlie that has led to this, like incredible career over the past sort of five six years bip for me uh holds a very like special place in my heart in a way like um uh my fiance bianca who's also our absent producer who chimes in every so often and is surprisingly not here (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) we kind of really bonded in the early days when we started the interns we really bonded over the fact that we were connecting to this um pc music sophie music and we were really like finding nostalgia in it in the fact that we kind of loved like the dj sammies and scooters of the early 2000s and bip was the first song that really like clicked for the both of us and we were like what is this we need to know more and i just remember like running around to certain like club nights and going to concerts and always being at good god small club at like two in the morning and like having this really formative experience to bip so for that as much as i'd like would never talk a bad word on vroom vroom i've got to go with bip for that reason i'll support you through all of that without a doubt um that's beautiful sam that's like a really lovely and genuine you know uh sign of the impact of of this artist and and this artist yeah the way this artist kind of connected people um yeah it's beautiful i'm gonna move on most earnest i've ever been on this podcast in three seasons I know, you're really seeing a different side <laughs> to us today. Don't worry. We'll We've got range, baby. We'll We've got it. range. Yeah. <laughs> um, immaterial. Versus Hey Cutie by QT. Actually, another difficult one. Nah. Mm. He says nah. 
Hey Cutie, again, thanks Sophie, was, yeah. I think, almost like a celebration of what Sophie was representing through the music in an even more um, branded and physical way. It was a comment on consumerism. Yeah. It was a comment on the shiny plastic society that we were living in. It was this whole idea of doing a, th- you know, a, a jingle almost for a um, yeah. fake, uh, for a fake product, which if you'll hold your horses. Oh my God, he's got it. <laughs> there it is. So <laughs> how cool! At Laneway, I remember wanting. I would have killed someone for that can back in the day. I remember being with um with an old friend, um, and we saw Sophie and QT. I think for the second night in a row, at Laneway Festival, and is our absent producer? Um, <laughs> she's just walked in. Her ears were burning. She said, "Did I tell you that she met QT?" Are you joking? When she met her. When did you meet her, Bon? Laneway. At Laneway. Oh, my God. No further comment. <laughs> it's nice to hear from our absent <laughs> producer on the show. At that very same Laneway, Sorry, I, um, I remember, yeah, like seeing the Sophie and QT show that they were doing as a, duo, as a duo. So, you know, it was Sophie kind of playing for about half an hour and then QT would jump up for about 10, 15 minutes and do... Um, yeah. Hey Cutie and a, bu- a couple of unreleased songs And then and always at the shows There was always like street talk that you could She always had cans of the QT soft drink That the song was about And that her she was the yeah. mascot of um, She would always have the cans with her And I remember me and my friend Stood beside a fence that was probably about Two and a half metres high Sort of hopping up and down Until we caught Sophie or QT's attention And we caught both of their attention Sophie waved and Cutie actually went away for a, a second and then came back and snuck under the fence to... Only her hand could fit. Her actual physical form couldn't fit, but handed us two cans of, of the Cutie soft drink, and I have it, and I drank it. I think I drank it the night after, and I think I put vodka with it, and it was... <laughs> <laughs> it sort of had a Mountain Dew-esque <laughs> taste to it. Anyway, once again, I've, I've rambled, but this is what this artist... I still provided. have no idea where you're going these, with, with these, this, which one you're going to choose. <laughs> but then, like, this is the thing this artist provided, these memories that literally have a physical form that I can hold in my very hand and clink into the microphone seven years later. So yeah. for me, it's Hey Cutie by Cutie, for sure. Great. I love that. I've got a similar, like, I think we both had a fascination with QT at the time and about the mystery and the just ridiculousness about the whole thing. <laughs> I wanted the can. I don't even like energy drinks or anything <laughs> like of the sort, but I wanted that can so badly. And I think that was kind of the point of it to conjure up hype for this thing that really meant nothing at the end of the day. <laughs> And Hey QT was a song that felt like it was intentionally pushing buttons And I think I really loved that It felt like kind of punk in a way And we chased that song around everywhere And hearing it out live was just the most like euphoric experience And particularly coming together I know when you're like Because obviously QT was such an internet thing And Sophie was such an internet thing And then to go into a club and hear that song and see all these people dancing to it, like putting something so online, like against 
finally having like a physical community where you can hear it was like such a just groundbreaking thing and such a formative part of me really falling in love with music and falling in love with the club particularly. Um, However, Immaterial is, I think, the way that that the album builds up to Immaterial Mm. is so beautiful and the way that it's almost like very elongated and very drawn out experimental production until you get to Immaterial and then it's like, boom, sugar hit. But also it's this like liberating moment for Sophie where it's like, I'm going to celebrate everything that I've been working towards. And this is kind of a celebration of the body as a vessel of expression rather than being something that like you have to be exactly what you're born as and you're born into kind of a box where you can't change or you can't do anything like you're some kind of like collector's doll or something like that and this this kind of put all those thoughts into one song and i remember when i first moved to new york we went to an after party for a charlie xcx show and it was like it was downstairs in this like little club and then i remember immaterial coming on and it was just like the moment of the night it was such a cool moment and again so cool to see all these people like celebrating and just like running around hands in the air to it and that was the power of exactly what a well-timed well-placed sophie song could do so i've got to go immaterial on this one beautifully said and i will not dispute a moment of that despite my usual disputing of games yeah, usually we'd be um and your choices <laughs> um let's do the third one next one's an interesting matchup just like we never said goodbye we were young and out of control i hadn't seen you versus bitch i'm madonna <laughs> by madonna <laughs> goes without saying and it? once again the incredible just amazing impact that you know sophie a couple of years into you know success as a producer is working with Madonna just like in in 2013 you don't sit there and think that's going to happen you think Sophie's going to be this producer that you get to experience in 100 cap rooms for the rest of your life and then all of a sudden she's in with the biggest artists on planet earth um there has been a plane and it was a sign that the like the wheel was changing absolutely started different things were starting to happen in pop music and I don't think anyone was ever really as daring as Madonna was to let something like that onto the record. Like, I still think we're still seeing the influence of Sophie unfolding today. Um, But it was really cool to hear, and I think quite a confusing experience for a lot of um, the older Madonna listeners. Absolutely. But it's it's so so funny because it is such um, an unexpected thing, but also the most obvious choice for Madonna to work with because that's exactly why Madonna's been relevant for her entire career because she's not afraid to go with these daring opportunities that keep her relevant and keep her interesting. Excuse me. Um, So love that idea. Love. And I think the song is very fun. Um, It was at a very silly raucous time in Madonna's career, which I think you could probably describe the last 20 years as having been um, for (laughs) for Madge. Um, Just like we never said goodbye is my favorite Sophie song. I think. Um, Yeah. Probably on par with It's Okay to Cry, but probably, I don't know, there's something a little bit extra to it as well. I think it's the anonymity that was still around her at the time as well that adds to it for me. Um, It's got, it just beautifully and innocently describes the 
yearning you have for a high school love, you know, a couple of years on and the, the one that yeah. got away moment and pairs that with the this just incredible production that's so cinematic and so orchestral but also so mechanical and insane and yeah. bonkers at the same time but it's just beautiful it's so beautiful um so yeah that that song is a, a hands-down winner for me out of probably the whole discography did that confuse you at the time like why you were having such an emotional reaction to a song that was so robotic in a way absolutely like I literally remember thinking, why do I feel this way about these songs? And then listening to that, and then going back on the rest of the Sophie disc. That wasn't my entry point. I was I was in there from MSMSM SM. Um, yeah. But it was um, But like that was the moment that I kind of became obsessed because I knew what she was capable of in terms of um, of melody and and you know lyricism as well. Um, yeah. And when she combined the two of them, she somehow did it in a way that didn't hero either of the two. They worked hand in hand with each other. Um, you know, she was so beautiful at, at building soundscapes around lyrics and words and making them work together. And um, yeah, it did confuse me. It really did confuse me why I was feeling the way I did about that song, about such a mechanical, yeah, record. But now it makes sense because it's authentic and it, matching the yeah. lyrics perfectly and that's what I look for in tracks I always look for like songs that instrumentally and lyrically match each other but I also like I love a music video that matches the narrative and isn't like an alternative narrative to what's going on in the song like, <laughs> you want the full package. I like uniformity you see package. I like uniformity yeah. in my pop music for sure <laughs> so yeah it's it's um it's definitely just like we never said goodbye for me yeah I just that something just hit me in my gut with that song like and I just couldn't yeah. explain it and I still don't think I can explain it I'm like why is this high-pitched voice like really getting to me and I remember bloody hearing it for the first time and I was like when I was like in my early 20s I used to do like AV work for some like conference center <laughs> and I was like up like the conference was unfolding and I was in the corner like with my headphones on listening to just like we never said goodbye and I was like holy I really was not prepared to have an emotional experience right. like this today but there I'd, I think when you I think there's a risk when you try out new sounds and that nobody will get it and nobody will connect to it but there's also like a possibility that it's going to elevate somebody's somebody's connection to something because they've never heard anything like it before and so it taps into something that they didn't really even know was there and I think that's what happens with just like we never said goodbye. I agree. It's one of. It's definitely one of the most special moments. Uh, I I knew that bitch I Madonna was going to lose this, but I felt like we needed to discuss it in some Absolutely. way. Absolutely. And I read something quite funny today in that um, Madonna or Diplo came to Sophie with bitch I Madonna as it was acoustic. It was still an acoustic demo which I just can't even think of what that song would be like as an acoustic song. That's fascinating. And apparently Sophie heard it and just heard the brattiness and the punk behaviour from Madonna in it and was like, this needs something that absolutely slaps to go behind it. And that's exactly what she did. She gave it something that really went hard. So 
props to that, but definitely just like we never said goodbye. Hands down and give us a tick and we'll dive further into the world of Sophie jumping into these huge mainstream pop star sessions after the game. Yeah. I'm just going to just give me one um, second. There's been a helicopter hovering for about 15 minutes. I just want to look at it. Okay. I think it's a police. You're, you're finally being arrested. <laughs> yeah, it's my turn! <laughs> For your crimes against pop music. It's like literally... It's, it's your turn. We're both going to be doing next week's episode from jail. <laughs> <laughs> Through the phone thing. <laughs> oh, God. It's like, it's like literally hovering right above my house. Like right above. Really? Yeah, it's really weird, actually. It's quite low. Wow. Um, anyway, where were we? On, our, on to our... F- All right. Well, I hope everything's I'm okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. We're on the final round of our song challenge. Yes. Uh, so we've got It's Okay to Cry. Verse Out of My Head by Charlie XCX. Ooh. <laughs> out of My Head. Who else is on Out of My Head again? It's Alma... Uh, Alma and Tuvelo. Tuvelo. Um, what a combo, by the way. That was just at the time that Alma was really starting to pop as well. Um, yeah. One of Sam's favourites. Um, and <laughs> I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Don't you <laughs> no, dare. I won't say it. Um, and like a great, like probably my favourite song on that. Was that on number, that was on number one, number two angel, number one angel. Why do I always forget? That was Pop 2. Pop 2 is out of my head. Always forget the names of those ones. Um, (laughs) But like, it's okay to cry. Like, holy shit. Like, yeah. Like, you don't get songs like that very often. You don't get moments in music like that very often. You don't get pivots in an artist's display of themselves that feel as natural yet jarring as that yeah. very often and that was it you know it came it came from memory it came not not a huge amount of time after you know after product and stuff like it wasn't like a giant hiatus that she'd taken but it felt like a re- no it felt like she was always around yeah it felt like a realization and obviously you know it it it, it was her it was her coming out and it was her you know, expression of her true self and her, her expression of, of herself as a trans woman and and a, a really exciting, you know, moment for Sophie fans who had maybe found themselves a home in the world of being a fan of Sophie without knowing maybe why they were, why it connected and why it hit yeah. so viscerally. Yeah. And then they get this moment of just absolute emotional outlay for minutes on end and the beautiful video that went with it yeah. such a simple but but f- emotive idea um so for me it's it's okay to cry because that's a musical moment not just a song yeah that was very well said it's hard to put into what i think in the past few days particularly it's okay to cry has been the one that's really resonated with fans around the world and i think it's because it felt like sophie and kind of her most liberated environment and really like stepping out and giving us everything. And the way that song is such like a gentle ballad, but then it just explodes like a thunderstorm at the end. Yeah. 
Um, and I know we both know the experience of hearing that in the club is like quite amazing because it's probably her least clubbiest song of anything, but it's the one that really like brings everybody together in a hands in the air type of moment out of my head, obviously just a perfect pop song from start to finish, like sounds so simple Um, and somebody tweeted, I can't remember who it was, but somebody tweeted this week, like go and listen to out of my head and just really listen to what's behind it because it sounds so simple on the surface, but there's so many little different sounds that go into the background of it, which is really, really cool. I hadn't thought about Um, that. I'm going to need to do that. Yeah, go back and listen. I did it today and it's very cool how you can make a song that sounds like such pure pop. Um, because it probably is one of like on the surface, one of Sophie's, what you would call safest productions, but yeah, it really like, there's really a lot happening there. Um, and just at a point when Charlie and Sophie were flying as a partnership, but yeah, it's hard to go past. It's okay to cry. So I've got to go with that. A wonderful celebration of not just Sophie and her artistry with her face at the front and her brand at the front, but a wonderful celebration of the impact she had on other artists and other creatives as well. That was a, a lovely game to do. Yeah. Back to the usual yeah, savage was, bullshit next week. Nice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're really going to have to get somebody <laughs> that we can really get stuck into next week. Justin Bieber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Justin Bieber or Justin Timberlake are the two names that come yeah. to mind. We'll chat about that next week. <laughs> So let's start, let's go into, obviously, because we've started talking about the collaborations, let's start talking about the point at which Sophie starts to infiltrate the mainstream pop world. So obviously Madonna is the first high profile collaboration and Sophie gets an in into this world um, through Diplo, I think it was. And at that point, there is quite a few interesting producers starting to work with big pop artists. I know Kashmir Cat, who was closely linked to Sophie, started working with like Sia and started working with Ariana Grande. Mm. Um, And Benny Blanco is the co-producer on a lot of these tracks between Kashmir Cat and Sophie. So I feel like when you think about that, you think about underground producers eventually making their way into the mainstream, which is not uncommon at all, but generally there's got to be some give or take. There's got to be some give in that you've got to sand your sound down in order for it to be appealing to lots of people because at the end of the day, pop is popular music and you can't come in with like a chainsaw sound and get added straight to radio. (laughs) But when I was listening to all these things, that Sophie made in the mainstream pop arena, Mm. it sounded like she was dictating the sound, not the other way around, which is so rare because often it's like, you'll get a little Hudson Mohawk drop or, or you'll get your like classic Diplo drop, but then you're going to get a, the rest of it's going to be just like a kind of copy paste melody. But everything I heard from Sophie, it sounded like it was 100% her and that she really was pushing pop forward. I think the mainstream pop artists with staying power are like what we were just saying with Madonna. They've got 
the ability to pivot. They've got the ability to try new stuff, to be unapologetic about it. That creates that unapologeticness creates authenticity, in my opinion. I'm a big believer in in if you do something that feels right, and you put that out into the world with no compromises. That is the most effective yeah. way to be authentic as an artist. I truly have always yeah. have always believed that, and I think Sophie going into some of these sessions is a great example of that. Um, yeah, you only have to look at the you know the rollout from you know I'm looking at this great playlist that was put together by um, uh, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, Avon McNeil. Um, called every Sophie Sophie produced song on this damn site. Oh uh, yeah, I was listening to that today. <laughs> a great playlist that just shows you the journey of you know going from her earliest stuff to branching out a little bit back to her kind of glow up into um into oil and and then you know the experimentation she did after that um, with some amazing yeah. you know amazing artists. Um, I think yeah, I think really it was two things that made her appealing to the mainstream. I think it was her unapologeticness and the fact that she would walk into a room and allow an artist to truly be themselves musically, personally, professionally. Um, I think it's been phenomenal to see, and you don't see this with every artist, the analysis from her fellow artists this week about the presence that she was in the room writing and making music. Absolutely. I was just going to say that. Everyone's mentioned it. Everyone that worked with her didn't start with, didn't start with, you know, she changed, you know, she changed music, blah, blah, blah. That was an important part of it. But what they said is you could walk into a room with her and she would tell you to be yourself. She'd give you the tools to unlock the truth of, of what your sound really is and what you want your sound to be yeah. with no barriers no blockades and that was word that was obviously spreading within the music community as well people that were frustrated with the monotony of their sound were obviously hearing from you know those connectors like diplo for example who's always been a, a phenomenal connector of people um and you yeah. know he, he ended up doing the the remix of hey cutie that ended up on a giant tv commercial and kind of propelled it into some sort of mainstream success like a year after that came out um but obviously he's you know witnessing what sophie's like to work with and then when other artists are expressing their frustration to diplo like madonna probably was they bring sophie in and then madonna talks about how great sophie is and it just becomes this domino effect of reputation that was obviously just so rooted in the authenticity she brought to the room. And I think that's why she became so appealing for mainstream artists to work with. Yeah. And I think even though we've, we obviously know that she was in the studio with Lady Gaga and she was in the studio with Rihanna, we've never heard any of those songs, but I think it's not really the point. Like sometimes the production credit is like, obviously then your sound is influential on the track, but it's about more than that. And I think that by the sounds of it, everybody that Sophie got in the room with walked away with a different feeling about how they could make music and a different feeling of liberation about what they could do and how they can push the boundaries. And when you think of Madonna, Lady Gaga, Rihanna in the same sentence, the one thing that ties them together is their willingness to try new things. That you can't say that any of their eras have been like the other one and they're always trying to look for the new thing so you know when you're in the studio with Sophie it's I'm looking for something else and I know that she's on the forefront of the sound that's about to happen and what's wild to me is I think that the Sophie sound that she was making 
with Madonna all that time ago is more present in the mainstream now than it was then. And it's taken what, like six years? When you think of the kind of TikTok stars that are making music right now, it's full of odd sounds. And the songs that are taking off on TikTok are all like, they've got some kind of like high-pitched accent or something to them that, that like creates this need for them to create some dance move. So it's taken so long for that sound to actually manifest itself in the mainstream. It's finally happening and I don't know what Sophie has in the vault or what's going to be released Mm. or whether anything with Gaga and Rihanna is going to come out but you just know that for the next decade two decades there's still going to be music that sounds ahead of its time for pop music beautifully said I think I want to touch on just quickly um you know talking about the Rihanna and and Gaga sessions I saw a great post from Nadia Rose on the weekend um recounting her experience working with her um, it was summer 2017, Rihanna writing camp. So there was a writing camp where they brought in a bunch of writers and producers to write songs for Rihanna that she never ends up putting out. Um, and, and my very first session was with Sophie. I was so nervous, but as soon as I entered that room, I was greeted by an energy words can't even describe. All my nerves disappeared. Sophie allowed me to feel so comfortable and really access my real self. Such a sweet, inspiring spirit and the talent. So they always mention the talent second because it was the human that yeah. was the most important part. Wow, I'll, so I'll cool. never forget the music I heard in those sessions and the music we created together. Sophie could literally make anything sound amazing, an icon and a visionary, rest in perfect peace. I thought that summed up why she was so attractive to these pop stars so well. I think also to um, Vince Staples' story about <laughs> um, his experience with her making Big Fish Theory. Obviously, Sophie made... Yeah, right, on the record with Flume, um, Kuchka and Kendrick Lamar. And it's just a a wild, really hard-hitting record. But (laughs) Vince uh, wrote on Twitter, Sophie walked in the studio unannounced wearing Mickey Mouse ears on the way home from Disneyland with Jimmy Edgar. Like, he has something for you. Played 745, took a water bottle and left. (laughs) So I think here's someone who's so uniquely themselves and so unapologetically themselves that they're just going to do exactly what they want to do. And if you like and it, And I imagine you like when it. you're going into these... Exactly. And I imagine when you're going into these pop sessions, like it's all very kind of stilted and a little bit awkward sometimes and you've got to kind of play to be somebody else for a while. But Sophie's obviously just walking into these sessions like, do you want what I have or do you not? Because like I can go. <laughs> it's just perfect. It really is just perfect. And, and kudos to her for obviously, you know, going through putting in the work to just become such an authentic person. You don't get, yeah. you don't get in the music industry often people who are just themselves and every turn, no. regardless of the caliber of talent she was in the room with, regardless of the caliber of celebrity she was in the room with, the report card is that she was just herself and just did what yeah. felt right to her, but with an, always with an aura of warmth and kindness about it. Um, never had the, I never had the, the pleasure of meeting her. I did sort of wave at her once in a room, but that, you know... I always <laughs> wanted to go and, you know, express my, my gratitude, but, like, even... Yeah, yeah, just everyone I know that's that's spoken to her and everyone that I don't know that's, you know, worked with her, just nothing but love. Um, I want to, like, just quickly touch on, as we talk about, like, working with, like, Vince Staples and Kendrick and stuff, I, I think it's just so yeah. amazing that this 
trans woman producer is working in that hip hop space in that that you know yeah. often quite misogynist let alone trans misogynist um hip hop space is a and and some of those rooms can be really you know difficult for for women to get into absolutely um i think that's a fucking awesome indictment on the talent and the human being that she was again just being unapologetic and so fucking good at her work that she was able to walk into any room and, and light it up um that's not saying like vin staples is a misogynist um let me make that very clear but i think it, there's there's yeah. something wonderful about her being in those rooms i think it's really important to drive the culture forward and drive forward the types of of people that can you know impact those spaces absolutely and i read a quote um, today and I, I I tried to find it but I can't find it um, but it was Sophie talking about hip hop music back when she was doing the Vince Staples record and just saying how she felt that it's kind of where pop is headed in a way and it's like the most heart hitting direct music and it's coming to you in real time yeah. and just to read that I was like fuck she was complete that she was so right. If you think about what like Ariana's doing right now with like very trap based, I mean, a lot of pop music is trap based and a lot of it is coming out a lot faster than it was at the start of the decade. So it's just like, yeah, she was just tapped into everything that was happening from the speed at which releases would start happening, which is something that Charlie XCX kickstarted, obviously to the kind of tempo of music and, the mode of music and obviously now hip-hop is the most popular genre on streaming services so that's right if you think about it there was no room at the time that sophie was getting into those mainstream pop sessions there was no room for basic bitch pop anymore pop had to be because hip-hop was just so strong um yeah. And obviously continues to be, but at the time that was the really early days of, you know, your your Drake's and Post Malone's at the top of the at the top of the charts. Um and yeah. so pop couldn't just be California girls anymore. It had to be different and it had to have something edgy to it to cut through yeah. the to cut through the noise. Absolutely. I do want to talk about the the community that Sophie built maybe unintentionally, maybe intentionally online in that there seems to be, I've never known somebody whose unreleased music is kind of stands so hard. Her music and Charlie XCX's music is, it's out there in abundance, the unreleased leaks. (laughs) And I don't know whether they have anything to do with it, but these fans go absolutely wild for the unreleased music. And in a way, on forums online, it's reignited this kind of community that existed years and years ago when music was still leaking and there was obviously a huge piracy issue in the industry. But I'm just so interested with the fascination in Sophie's live music. Do you think that it was the mystery? Why was this music not being released? Do you think it was a... a, and like a thing of mystique or do you think she was particularly picky with what she released or do you think she liked the idea that, that there was this secret online community that was devouring this music? I don't know. I don't know the answer. That's my answer too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the idea that it's seeing the fact that she'll play the songs at the shows, create that FOMO factor of people yeah. wanting him, keep 
the interaction up, keep the artist in the top of mind because you don't have that thing that you want. Because when you've got everything, your appetite for an artist and your appetite for the unknown goes away. And by constantly not having all the songs out, I think that create, but, but acknowledging that they exist through performing them at live shows and telling you to put your phone away. Um, I, yeah. I think that, that really does add to it. I think so. Like we know Sophie was fucking smart, so deeply yeah. smart and emotionally intelligent and warm and warm. So I, I think it probably was a little bit of that. I think there were elements, you know, with some of the Charlie stuff of, of, you know, label involvement and, um, you know, with with a bunch of these records, you know, probably waiting for the right moment and and all that kind of stuff and holding it back. But I think the majority of this would have just been, you know, yeah, Sophie kind of <laughs> fucking around with us, which I which I love, <laughs> yeah, which I definitely. love. There's a little bit of a trolling atmosphere, like a trolling vibe to it, which I do really like. I think it lends nicely to a performance that I know we both want to talk about when Sophie was out here doing the Flume shows. I think she was supporting Flume doing his first arena tour yeah. in Australia. Yep. And she played a show at Good God Small Club or then Hudson Ballroom or whatever it became. Yep. Um, but she played No Angel by Charlie XCX. And I remember her saying, put your phones away. This is a song that Charlie and I both love that's not out yet. Please don't record it, which in a way, like there's obviously some Sophie was respected so much by her fans that some will do it. But at the same time, it's like an invitation to record an unreleased Charlie XCX song. But I just remember the feeling of excitement for a song no one knew. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? I remember I remember not recording it and then seeing people recording it and shunning them for doing so. Um <laughs> But that was an amazing moment. I believe it wasn't as kindly spoken as that. It was, Charlie will fucking kill me. Put your phones away. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> It was something like along those lines. <laughs> and it was funny because it was like, we were all in that, in that show. It was, a da- again, a dark room. About 200 of us absolutely crammed. It was sweaty as hell. Room so sweaty. Room just smelt of, of poppers. Um <laughs> and sweaty gaze as it should as it should as any good room pre-pandemic did and i remember for that kind of first hour of that show it was that you didn't feel like that show was ever going to end and you didn't want it to end either it was just no. so nah. visceral there's no phone reception in that back room either um and you just were in it you just were so intimately involved with the music and you had no sense of time or or you know the rest of the world you were in that room you were in the music you were in that industrial complex for for a hot minute and then it was almost like we'd gone through this like emotional visceral experience and then there was this burst of humor as well and there was this burst of the human side um that i think just made it you know just sealed the deal on on what a special live show she was able to do and i think that particular show and those smaller shows she was doing while she was touring uh, with the likes of Flume and doing big kind of arena shows, introducing herself to audiences that maybe didn't understand the project and didn't understand the music. Because I remember there was a little bit of sort of misunderstanding about Sophie performing those th- those kind of records in a um, in such a massive context. Um, yeah, from folks who didn't who hadn't heard of her. Um, I think they were really you know cathartic shows to perform for her on that on that tour as well. But yeah, that was a, a particularly special one. And I think anyone who's been in a small room environment to see Sophie before knows what that's like and if you haven't put your headphones on turn the lights off 
turn them really fucking loud and listen yeah, to records. Just do it. Just do it yourself. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think there's often this like this kind of like feeling that to have an exp- an emotional experience like that to music, it kind of has to be like ballads or mm. really like you know guitar music by some I don't know. Fuck with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> But the fact that there was all these people in this room having this just euphoric, joyous, um, overwhelming experience to music that was so off the wall and so completely new and just, I don't know, there was just something indescribable about that night that I'll never quite wrap my head around, but it it was just so good. It was such the feeling of collective energy in the room was amazing. And it felt like Sophie was one of us in a way like she was never out on stage like kind of playing the star of the show she knew she was the the conductor of it but she was happy to be a part of a a part of the experience and what was happening which was so special 100 percent. no more to add i don't even know where to go from that but i know that i'd i did see sophie one more time um i saw her play primavera festival in Barcelona and it was just amazing to see the development throughout her career from this obscure producer who was performing on stage or standing as the bodyguard to her own show always with some bubbly backpack and a kind of big puffer jacket the depth she was always kind of marred by the lights and stuff to stepping out at Primavera with the oils record out and with this really different transcendent music but just as special and it just felt like she was fully confident and fully comfortable and it it was again just a mind-blowing experience for a completely different reason and I think that's the most you can hope for for like one of your favorite artists is that they continue to grow and they continue to learn more and they continue to change and you know that if you're invested in them you'll go wherever they go and it doesn't matter how much they change the sound and oils was a departure from that product music it wasn't half as shiny or half as like hyperactive as it was but people were already invested in the sophie journey and they were going on it and the lip the liberation that's that can be seen through that record is amazing and it's so nice to know that sophie could get to that point at least before it was obviously tragically cut short but a beautiful statement to be able to go go out on which is bittersweet but I don't, there's some solace in in knowing she reached that point of comfort a hundred percent yeah i um i never had the chance to see um a sophie show after it's okay to cry um and i'll i'll, re- I'll regret that i i really yeah. I really wish I was able to, you know, experience something like like that. Um, I will, I will rem- always remember though. Just after it's okay to cry came out, being at another club night run by the incredible um, uh, DJ label yeah. owner, just entrepreneur icon Nina Las Vegas, and um, I think DJing at the time was was the DJ Linda Mariano, and she played it's okay to cry in a sweaty club in the middle of the night at one o'clock in the morning. We were all listening to hyperpop for hours on end, and then it's okay to cry, just out of the blue, with the full like 
in, spacey intro and everything. And yeah. it just, yeah, that was a special moment as well. And I feel like... It's such a release. Yeah, it was a release. It was a real fucking release and a real memora- memory. And I think we're so lucky that, yeah, we've got an artist like this whose music lives on i i would be surprised if there wasn't more that will come posthumously as well and yeah. i think the celebration of her legacy and her music has just been so much more wide and um and all-encompassing than i was expecting um you know sitting on on the ground on saturday night you know constantly refreshing twitter for for news um just what's yeah. been said about her who it's been said by um and how far and wide her impact has been shown on a human level and on a musical level, um, we'll never we'll never forget that. Well, her fingerprints are all over pop music now, and even if the music is not coming directly from Sophie, you know that she has influence and she's touched so many artists that it's going to be delivered to us in different ways. And I think yeah. the fact that she left such an impact on a genre that's so often so hard to change at all is is a really special thing and i know that even with without her here we're going to feel her through the music whether it's by her or whether it's not totally it's okay to cry it is okay to cry what a statement to be able to have i mean that was all overline on on friday and saturday as people like grieved the news in their own way mm. and i think it's obviously a testament to her legacy that people have felt so strongly about her and people have been able to grieve online and also the interaction between her fans um, and the care and the concern and just the gentleness with which they've treated each other is a testament to the community that Sophie built. And I don't think there's any greater legacy you can leave behind. And I don't know where to go. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. Because there Maybe is that's there is a Pandora's box of thoughts that we could open, but I think at these times of whether whether the and obviously you know we're just we're not just fans, we're not family and friends though. We are music no. music lovers who were impacted by her work, and you know we're in a different set of grief. But there is an open grief to this from the community at the moment, and um, yeah, I suppose just hope everyone's. Um, in a, in a way able to in their own time and in their own way able to celebrate the legacy and celebrate you know the art that we were left and i think that's the best most important thing that any artist can provide is a legacy and sophie did that without Absolutely. any shadow of a doubt i think that might be the episode yeah <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> We're going to leave behind our flop of the week for this week. Um, yeah. We'll just, we'll just let it stay right here. Um, but we will return to regular programming next week. Yeah. <laughs> we will bring you an artist who is definitely a flop. Maybe Sophie doesn't fit so well into our no. flop stars criteria. Sam, love you and love you flop stars community. Have a lovely one. Lots of love to you all. Thank you. And it makes me feel, makes me feel like everything I could ever need.